Welcome to The Well Podcast. We pray that this message ministers to you and blesses you as you listen. So this morning, if you will, let's turn to Psalms chapter 5. I'll be reading out of the NLT. And Nathaniel, I'll be going through uh, verses 1 through 3. If you'll stand with me, let's read that together. And if you want to uh, put your bookmark or your other finger or whatever over in Acts chapter 3, we'll get to that eventually. So Psalms chapter 5, starting in verse 1, if you got it, say, I got it. Okay, got three people over there on that side that's got it. Got it. All right, we're getting there. I don't want to leave anyone behind. All right, all right. It's like popcorn now. It's going off everywhere. So Psalms chapter 5, verse 1, this is David who records this psalm, and um, we'll come back to the rest of it. I'm just going to start with the first three verses here. And it reads, O Lord, hear me as I pray. Pay attention to my groaning. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God, for I pray to no one but you. Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my request to you and wait expectantly. Heavenly Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it blesses us, that it is nourishment to our souls. And Lord, today as we dig into your word and we dig into, uh, Father, this, this study and this moment together, Lord, I ask that you would allow this to penetrate every heart that's here, transform every mind that's here. Let it sink in and nourish our souls this morning. And I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you very much. So in, in Psalms chapter 5, we find David pleading with God, um, and I probably didn't express it as well as I read it, um, but you can see this groaning that David has, this desperation that David has in these first few lines as he cries out for help. And he says, I cry out for help to my king and my God. I pray to no one but you. God is his one and all. And he says, listen to my voice as I bring my request to you and wait expectantly. And that word I want to focus on today is that word expectantly. Because as David lifted his cries and his petitions to heaven, he had an expectation that things were about to move. He had an expectation that God was going to do something amazing in his life for these needs that he's bringing to him, and he had an expectation when he lifted these prayers that they were not just hollow, that they were not words, but they were meeting uh, an all-gracious father on the other end who was leaning into every word and hanging on every word that David lifted. And so I wonder this morning, what's your expectation? What are you expecting in your lives? You see, uh, David in this... Um, in this moment, says God is his one and all. And God has been stirring in me this week that we need to raise our expectations. Because, because our expectations are a reflection of who we believe God is. And if, and if we, our expectation is no more than, please let me call him for that job interview. Please let my name be considered for that promotion. If that's as big as your God gets, then your God feels pretty small. But God changed the war in Ukraine. Just halt it. 
not another shot fired. Just in a moment, turn it off. That's a pretty high view of God, to come in and intervene in big matters. But see, our, our expectations are a reflection of where we are at and what we think God can do in our lives as we raise our own prayers and petitions to God. And so I wonder, where's our expectations today? My great friend Tozer, say that jest, of course, but I read a lot of his, a lot of his works. I, I think time will declare him a modern-day prophet. I don't know that he ever had a voice to the nations. I don't know that he ever had a voice of influence outside the Christian community. But there is such wisdom captured in his word, and there's probably many, many others. I'm certain there are. But he says, he says this. He says, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The most important thing about us is what comes into our mind when we think about God. Because what we think about God influences every aspect of our life. When you say, well, it doesn't impact every aspect of our life, then God is not in every aspect of your life. And I would say that what you think about God is God is only partially in your life. But if we think about God and we have a big vision for God and that God is active and alive in every part of our life, then we have a big view of who God is. And everything in our life passes through this filter of God looking at it and saying, I endorse it, I restrict it, I like it, I don't like it. And it passes through his hands. And likewise, every decision that we make and every move that we make ought to also pass through that. We ought to go to God if he is really Lord of our life. Imagine back in the day, King Arthur's court. You're a knight at the round table. Are you ever going to go off on a mission and not consult the king? Of course not. You are there to do the king's bidding. And it seems foreign to us that live in a modern world, in a democracy where we kind of have a, a say in politics, we have a say in what happens, and we have a freedom to make some choices of our own, that every choice ought to go through the king. And it seems foreign to us. And I think it's one of the many challenges that we have to overcome and one of the many mindsets that we have to overcome to really get a true and proper vision of how the lordship of Christ and God in our lives should work. Would you ever go on a, on a missions trip without praying first? Would you ever go and, and, and do a street ministry without praying first? See, it's the same thing. We, we go to the king and we say, king, I'm going to go out into the village of Main Street. And I'm going to take the armor that you've provided, and I'm going to take the sword that you've provided, and I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to battle for your kingdom. Now, what we really take is the, the, the armor of God, the sword of the Spirit. We take our Bibles. We take a lot of courage, and we take our faith with us. And we go out onto the street of Main Street, and we minister to people who don't know God who have a false image of God. And we try to bring light to a dark world in those things. But the first thing that we do is go to the king. Or at least I hope that's the first thing. That we do. So our image of God really does shape 
everything, every aspect of our life. Becky, can I have that water? Starting to sound like Sophie up here. So, water. Now, now I'm getting in trouble. Brittany's getting mad. Now, now I know I'm in trouble. All right. So, what we think about God, the image of God that comes to our mind, should affect everything about us. Well, it just does. Even if you feel like it's incomplete, that means your, your view is incomplete, right? <clears throat> so Proverb puts it this way, as one thinks in his heart, so is he. So if you think in your, in, in your heart that God needs to be involved in every part of your life, God will be involved in every part of your life. If God is somehow distant and someone you call on in those times of difficulty, someone you call on, you know, in those times of distress, then chances are as you walk out your life, you're going to feel like God is only there in those times of distress, in those times of difficulty. In reality, he's probably there the whole time. Your eyes are probably just not open to it. But life has a way of stealing our expectations. Life has a way of stealing our expectations, right? If you think about, like, when you were freshly saved and, and it, you know, it was just the joy of the Lord, you probably went into to some service, I would guess, if it's anything like, like myself, and you go in there and you're like, okay, I'm a little curious about this God guy. Who is he, right? And then something shifts in the atmosphere. Something moves, and suddenly you feel that weight of conviction on you, and you feel all of those things in your life that, that, that the sin and the iniquity that you, you brought on yourself and how that would separate you from an all-loving God and all he wants to do is just, just deliver you from all of that. And if you're like me, it involved uh, uh, this feeling of like this weight and this, this you know, uh, feeling that I just, I messed it up. You know, I'm just this lowly, no good for nothing but here this God is that's stretching his hand out and says, no, 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 let me, let me pick you up and brush you off, right? Let me get your feet under you good and strong. And here now, let me put this robe on you. And you are the prodigal son. And he comes out running to meet you. He comes out running to meet you. And he's not there to condemn you or convict you. He just wants to know that you have made up your mind that your past is your past. And you are marching forward with him. And he wraps the robe around you, and he washes you up, and he cleans you up like you had never been away. And he calls you son. And so for me, after a lot of tears and a lot of tissues and a lot of uh, mess, I get up from the altar, you know, and people have prayed with me and for me, and they're encouraging me, and they're trying to help me understand everything that my insides are flipping and turning and they're upside down. And people are trying to tell me, yeah, that's how it works. And I'm like, no, this is why we go to the doctor, you know. Um, at the end of all that, you just feel this lightness and this airiness. And you just feel, you know, like the arms. His arms are wrapped around you, and he's just carrying you in that moment. Of how all the weight of all the sin and all that stuff in the past has suddenly dropped off of you. And especially when you're, you're freshly saved, 
right? And your faith is through the roof, right? Every need in the house, you're the first one there. Pray, right? And you got faith for, for ages. But then you pray and things don't begin to happen the way you think they're supposed to happen. And even though God has brought you through, even though God has parted the waters, as the song said this morning, and marched you out of Egypt in that captivity and that hurt, and brings you into a land where, where he says, I'm with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, just look. And yet the first hardship that comes, you're like, I was better off in Egypt. The first prayer that doesn't get answered, you're like, well, where is God? And so life has a way of stealing those expectations because you don't see God moving in miraculous and amazing ways and suddenly you think God has left the building. Turn to Acts chapter 3. There's a beautiful story here about expectations. Acts chapter 3 talks about the crippled beggar at the gate beautiful. It says, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. And as they approached the temple, a lame man from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Now, I want to just bring this into context a little bit, because here is a man who has been lame from birth. All he has ever known is being carried to the temple so that he can beg for the spare change from the gracious people that are entering the temple, from the people that God has blessed and that are going into the temple. He is just begging from them just just a little bit. And I'm sure over the years, people have stopped and they've ministered to him and they've shared about God. They've shared about uh, all the things that God has done and how God has redeemed people and restored people and how he's fought for people and, and how he's given strength to people. And I'm sure there was a measure of faith that this man must have had. And yet day by day, sees people walk in and walk out. People pray for him and nothing happens. And so I want to I show you now where his expectation is. So Peter and John looked at him intently, verse 4. And Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. You see, life had stolen this man's expectations. He had no expectation that he was ever going to walk. He had no expectations that anyone was ever going to carry him into the temple. He was in his place. You see, life had robbed him of every expectation that there would be joy, that there would be uh, uh, whatever. There, there would be success, there would be prosperity in his life. Every day it was the same routine. He would go to the temple, a few kind people would give him money, a few kind people would stop and pray and encourage him. And that day after day, he was there. It says, the lame man looked at him eagerly expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. 
in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Sometimes what we have on the inside is more valuable than anything that we can give away on the outside. And I love the reaction here. Verse 7, then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. And then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. Now this man, I, we don't know his history, we don't know his faith, we don't know whether he was, was really one to lean on God or not, but I'm going to guess that if he sat outside the temple and his people walked by, that they probably looked down on him. They had to, he was on the ground. And this man, with no expectation that he was about to leap to his feet, no expectation about how God was going to move in his life, met a man who had great expectations. You see, he met Peter. Peter's expectation was that God could do amazing things. Now, Peter was on the street walking the same path as everyone else that day, but Peter's expectation in what God was able to do because he walked with Christ, because he knew Christ, because he had seen the miracles that Christ had done, his expectation was much higher. And so when he met this man on the street, his expectation was not that, that there was going to be a, this great wealth that the man was looking for or even enough to get him through the day. But Peter said, this man has been lame I've seen him here before. People are passing him by. But I know a God who can. And so Peter's expectation was that this man could be healed. And, and just like Becky was saying earlier, he didn't say, will you get up? He didn't say, can you get up? He said, in Jesus' name, get up. And he ordered this in. He commanded it in. He understood the authority he had been given by Christ to, to go out into a hurting world and bring life to the lifeless, to bring hope to the hopeless. And here Peter was with an expectation that this man would get up. And not only did he get up, the word says he leapt. It says he walked. I don't see where it says he ran, but I believe he probably ran. I believe he probably shouted. I believe he probably danced in circles. Uh, the text goes on later where people are going, hey, isn't that the guy? How would you like to be that guy? How would you like to be that guy who had back pain for 12 years? How would you like to be that guy that had a struggle for 12 years? How would you like to be that one that, that was like that way from birth and yet one touch from heaven changed everything. And now you're that guy that, that used to be that guy. You used to be that guy. And one touch from heaven. And someone with an expectation that heaven would move at the sound of the name Jesus Christ changes everything. I can't help but, but think about, this is completely aside. Um, I worked one time with a, with a guy who worked on a truck dock. Um, yeah, I did that stuff. Um, and on the truck dock, um, after the, like, the express loads got out, everyone took a break. 
so we all went into the little break room together, and, um, and a guy was sharing a story about something that happened over the weekend or whatever, and, and I can't even remember what the story was, but he did something, something dumb probably, um, just knowing who the guy was. Um, and another guy goes, oh, you're that guy. <laughs> like he had heard the story about some guy who did something stupid. He goes, oh, you're that guy. Anyway, just reminded of that, how, how you can get labeled as that guy. You don't want to necessarily be that guy if it's, a, if it's a bad story. But expectations come from hope. And that's what expectations really are, is hope. And hope comes through faith. Because if you have a little faith and a little hope, the word says actually if you have faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. But I know in, in our lives, we tend to, our faith tends to wane, right? We'll go pray for someone and it's like, well, I hope you feel better soon, right? Instead of, God, touch them now. Father, restore them and strengthen them now. Lord, restore this vessel of yours, this child of yours. Father, this is your vessel, and right now it has an infirmity, it has an illness that's upon it that doesn't belong there. It's not part of the creation of this clay. It's not part of the breath that you breathed into it. So, Lord, wash it, make it clean. Amen. So faith comes, faith comes through hope, hope through faith. Faith comes through the hearing of the word, but faith also comes through experience. And that experience sometimes is positive and sometimes it's negative. Now, some of us, when things go well, right, when we see prayers answered, when we, when we, you know, when God moves in our lives, you know, when we're first saved and those kind of things. There's a, there's a tangible feeling and awareness of God. You know, time can, can take that away from us too. But you know, when we get, get into the kingdom and we stretch our faith a little bit and God begins to use us to bless people, when we begin to see prayers answered, you know, it, it builds our faith. And we need to make sure that we're sharing that with one another. And, and, and when people pray for you and the answer is not in that moment and it comes later that day, we need to make sure that we're going back and letting people know, right? Because here they have, I mean, everyone's probably done it, but you've stretched it out and said, I, I don't know what the Lord's saying. I see an orange caution cone. Maybe that means you need to be careful. I don't know what that means. And they're like, oh, I know what that means. I know what that means. And then when you avoid a calamity because someone had a word for you that reinforced what God was already telling you, you need to go back and go, let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you how God spared me. Thank you so much for sharing that word with me. Because it's going to build your faith. It's going to build their faith. But even through all that, time, life, this filthy world that we live in, can all make us lose sight of the blessing that we live under. I mean, if we look at the Israelites and, and y'all this morning singing about the Red Sea and the parting of the waters, I could have just, we could have just stayed right there in the Red Sea. That's my, that's my jam. But think about the Israelites. Can you imagine a more spectacular way that God would show off? Here, we're going to have a, a fire at night, a cloud during the day, 
and then we're going to take this ocean, and we're going to part it, oh, and we're going to dry out the bottom because we don't want no one's feet to get muddy, right? And then we're going to invite, like, two million people just to march across there. Oh, let's see. What can we do to spice that up a bit? Oh, yeah. Okay, so Pharaoh will come in behind you, and then I'll, I'll, I'll you know, I'll drop the hammer on Pharaoh, Okay? Now, I don't know about you, but God has not moved like that in my life. He's done some amazing things in my life, but he has, has not dropped the hammer on my enemy. Or maybe he has, and I don't know it. But even the Israelites, after all of that, after that generation sees all of that, after that generation gets into the wilderness, so they're there for some time, God is feeding them, literally, every day, And what do they get to do? Well, we don't have the steak that we That steak back in Egypt, my nice. Oh, I got this manna stuff. I don't know what it is, but <laughs> not getting any smaller, you know. And yet they grumbled and complained. And what did they say? At least we're better off in Egypt. Hey, did you, did you guys forget about the wall, the water? So look over here, the cloud's still here, the fire's here at night. It makes me worry about us that don't see the cloud and the fire, who can't with our natural eyes look and see the presence of the Lord. We've got to look inward at that spirit and that quickening of our heart to know that God is near. And if the Israelites, in light of all of that, can still forget what God brought them out of and can still get into grumbling and complaining, Chances are we're in trouble, and we need to guard ourselves for that, because it's, it, I don't think it's any different for us. I think we lose sight of what God has brought us through. It's one of the reasons that, that I've started to, to journal and write, and if, and if you're not doing that, I would encourage you to do that. The Israelites stacked stones, right? It was much more difficult for them to carry around the stone tablets, you know? So they would stack stones, and when they would see that stack of stones, they go, Remember. Now, for the rest of us, we can keep journals. We can uh, take some pictures or whatever, and then four years from now, they'll pop onto our phones again, and they'll remind us, right? We've got to remind ourselves of how good God has been to keep us from losing sight of how good God has been. All right. But when we lose sight of God, when we lose sight of of the awe and amazement and everything he's brought, brought us out of, our expectation can diminish. It just does. When we don't see the prayers answered, they're not answers in the way we wanted to, we didn't get the promotion, we didn't get the job, we didn't get the call back, the red car was taken already and we had to settle for something else, whatever. Right, and we lose sight of what God is doing, and we, we let disappointment come in and hinder us. And there's a, there's a saying here, and I think it's a Maxwell, John Maxwell saying, he says the difference or the gap between expectation and the, rea- the expectation we have and the reality we see is a place called disappointment. And that's true. And I, and I love that saying. Because for me, it allows me to transform the disappointment. I can understand that maybe my expectation was too high, right? 
Um, I was trying to think of an example that didn't involve my children. Give me a moment. Well, for example, I'll just put it this way. Um, it's a terrible example, but I'm going to go with it anyway. So sometimes uh, Becky and Sophie and Nathaniel, someone will be out, right? And they'll pick up a box of donuts. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I have my favorite donuts. And so when I go, ooh, donuts, yeah. And I go over to that box and I, whoop, and I don't see my favorite donut. I'll be like, they know. I feel like I should tell all y'all so all y'all know. <laughs> I don't need it, just saying. But when I see that and the donut's not in there, I'm like, oh, man. Oh, oh my favorite donut. How could they not get my favorite donut? And who do I want to get mad at? Yeah. <laughs> I love you. I love you. But I want to get mad because they didn't get my favorite donut. Never mind that it was the Westco that didn't have the donuts made. There's a built-in excuse next time. My donut's not there. Anyway, that's the best example I can come up with on the fly. But, but that gap between my expectation and the reality is where disappointment lies. Right? And so if, if you experience disappointment, how many of y'all have experienced disappointment in your life? Okay, yeah, everyone. Come on, be real. Right? But when you experience that disappointment, a lot of times it happens with loved ones, especially family, because our expectations are so much higher. Right? If you ask, if you ask um, a group of people and some of them happen to be your loved ones, so, hey, can you get me a pen? And you come back with like that, you know, oh, I'll just tell you in my house. If I brought Becky, yeah, a little get back. I got the microphone. What are you going to do? So, so if I bring back the pen and it's like the large point, you know, uh, old, you know, like big pen or whatever, mm-mm, mm-mm, I know better. I'd do it anyway. But, but I know that's not the pen that she's going to want. But you know what? If, if someone else was in her home, if one of y'all were in her home, and y'all didn't know how picky Becky was about her pens, it's, it's a thing. It is. But if y'all didn't know, and y'all asked, if she asked y'all to bring her a pen, and you brought her that same pen, it been okay. But I, I couldn't do it. She'd just look at me like, for real? And I'll be like, there was no, the pens, that's all that was there. West Coast didn't have any. Anyway. But the gap between expectation and the reality is where disappointment lies. And so if you experience disappointment, let me, when you experience disappointment, because you will, when you experience disappointment, and you take a step back and go, okay, were my expectations placed correctly to begin with? Am I expecting too much from them? Did I give them enough information? Did I ask specifically for the gel fine point, roller pin, in green? Did I ask for the chocolate-covered, cream-filled donut? Did I ask for the, the double-stuff, chocolate-covered eclair? 
right? So we just, we just have to make sure that our expectations and the reality that, that we receive and that gap of disappointment that's there, don't, don't get offended, don't get hurt if it's not clear. Okay, let grace come in there, let forgiveness come in there, right? And with your kindest voice, say, no, I, can you get me another one? Can you go back to the West Coast and get me a chocolate-covered, cream-filled, decadent, fresh? All right, amen. Good night, y'all. No, just kidding. All right, and, and it's a bit silly, I know. But those are examples where the expectation and reality don't match. We have the same thing in our lives. We have the same thing in our lives when we have been petitioning heaven to open a door for us, and that door stays closed. And sometimes a door will open, and the Lord will say, this is what we need to do, and he'll confirm it in two or three, and you're like, I really don't want to do that. I really don't want to go walk and go door to door and hand out flyers. It's not my jam. But you know what? I'm going to go and do it because I want to make sure this is, this is how we're going to share the word of the Lord today. This is how we're going to meet and greet people. And, 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 and there's a group, and they've organized this. They've got the flyers. All i got to do is go and be friendly. It's not asking too much, right? But for our prayer life, for our spirit life, I feel like we need to raise our expectations. And that, that might be a little counterintuitive when you think about the gap of disappointment that lies between expectations and reality. I mean, if we're already being disappointed, doesn't raising our expectation just mean more disappointment? But we also need to recognize why the gaps exist in our prayer life, in our spiritual life. Because either our expectations are wrong or our God is too little. One of those can be eliminated. If you're not sure which one can be eliminated, we'll talk after service, and we'll work through it. But chances are our expectations are probably a little off. So why are our expectations wrong? James 4, chapter, I'm sorry, James chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 says it this way. It says, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. that you might spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God or it's countered with God or an enemy of God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And then dropping down to verse 8, it says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So there's an expectation when we go into prayer that we're praying with a right heart and a right motive, and we're praying for the will of God to be done. How many of y'all know that we can miss that? We can miss that. Sometimes we can pray for that new job when God's going like, it would be horrible for you. It would be horrible for you. And sometimes I wish he, the audible voice would be really clear. Like you go, God, can you make a way for... No. That was pretty clear, Lord. Thank you very much. I'll wait for the next one. But, but what this says here is sometimes we ask amiss because 
Our heart is not where it needs to be. Our motives are not pure. They're selfishly motivated things. And we've got to work that out for ourselves. We've got to figure out where are we being selfish? Where are we really keeping God's uh, presence and the glory that he should get from it in mind? Because if we're, if we're just willy-nilly with our prayer life, and we're just praying for, you know, hey, pray the next commercials, such and such. I don't know that God really cares about those things. If anything, he would probably say, well, turn it off. I need to spend more time with you anyway. So there, there is a right motive and a right uh, mindset and, and heart condition that we need to be in in order to pray. And it's called out here in James uh, chapter 4. So to expect more of God, to increase our expectations, we've got to increase the expectations on ourselves. We've got to know that when we pray that our heart is right, that our mind is right, that it's been washed in the word. Because we can't expect a holy God to get himself dirty and filthy, to come down to a dirty and filthy place where we are to answer a prayer for us. And neither can we expect that if we allow that sin and that filth in our own lives, that God is going to honor our prayers. There, there is, a, to have an effective prayer life now, now don't get me wrong, God is gracious. God is gracious. He will hear our prayer in the midst of our sin, and he will still move and answer that because he loves us that much. But if we're going to pray and really change the world, if we're going to pray and really move heaven, then we've got to pray from a place where we get as much of that out of the way as possible and we have the fewest hindrances in our life as possible. And we've got to come to him with the right heart and, an, and a purified heart and a, and a cleansed soul because he didn't, he didn't save us to leave us filthy in the pig pen. He saved us and called us out of a filthy world, called us out of the sin that, that would hold us back and be the weight and the chains in our life. And, and he wants us to, to put all of that off and put on this robe of righteousness and draw close to him and be like him. He wants us to be pure and holy. But if we're not careful, if we're not diligent, if we don't do like David and have the right view of God, and if we're not getting up every morning and declaring that over our own lives, then we can slip back into this mindset that, that allows some of that filth and dirt to come back in our lives. And as James puts it, he calls those peoples adulterers and double-minded, and God's just not having it. He's just not having it. He wants people that are going to diligently seek him. He wants those people like David that are going to wake up every morning and go, God, you're glorious. The heavens declare your glory. The earth cries your name. All, all of the earth just reflects your creation and your presence in it. Oh, and by the, the way, Lord, please let Wes go have some chocolate-covered, cream-filled, Y'all, when y'all go to West Coast and y'all see like two dozen of them, I'm going to be like, I'm sorry I prayed for that. My bad. I just want one, Lord. Just the day I'm there, just work it out. Thank you, Lord. Y'all have seen a new side of me. Y'all like, can't tell you disappointed or what. But anyway. But we've got to set all of that aside. We've got to set aside all those things that, that would hinder our prayers. 
All, all of that malice and strife, all of that sin that's in the world, all of that's got to be set aside so that we can come to God in a pure heart. And then we have to draw close to God. And as we draw close to God, that light's going to shine brighter and brighter. And even the smaller things that we thought we could just slip by with, all of those little things that, that we hadn't learned quite yet how to set down and, and put in our past, all that's going to come to light. But as we draw close to God, we have to realize that God is a person. That he has a personality. God has feelings. He loves. He's jealous. He gets angered. Some of the saints have even, like, bargained with him. Think about Abraham when he's bargaining over uh, Sodom and Gomorrah because Lot's in there. And he talks him down from 50 to 40 to 30 to 5 or something. We've got to know that we can approach God. We've got to have that relationship and that intimacy with him that, that says that we can approach God. We've got to come in, in the right way. And that's fostered through time. God is, is a personality. Uh, you wouldn't expect to, um, to come to my house and just let yourself in. Maybe a few of you. Maybe a few of you are a little more bold than I'm thinking too. But most of you would stop at the door and knock. Oh, hey, thought I'd stop by and say hello, right? <laughs> I will go. But chances are, if I come to your house, there, there's going to be a bit of anxiety when you open the door, and it's like, oh, I really should invite him in, but I haven't cleaned up, right? How many of y'all have that anxiety at the door when someone just stops by? Uh-huh. Yeah, you're not alone. You're not alone. And so I think if God were to come knocking on the, the soul of our heart, the door of our heart, said, hey, I want to come in for a visit. How many of us are going to have that anxiety? Right? You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to raise your hand. But we need to have that diligence that, that he's always welcome there and that we want to spend time with him. Because just like we can get to know God, we can get to know him through the word. We can get to know him through our prayers. Because I believe God is ever speaking to us. We're not ever listening, most of us. But I believe God is ever speaking to us. But we can learn about him through his word. We can learn about it through history. We can learn about it through, through prayer, through ministering with others. There's lots of ways that we can get to know God. And then we can get alone with God and really get to know what he wants for us. Really understand how he speaks to us and how we speak to him. And there's a diligence that we have to have to approach him and be with him. And I love it. Someone once said this. It says, you become what you behold. And that reminds me of the other one that, that uh, I read a moment ago. Whatever it was, who knows. As a man thinks, therefore he is. I have that in here somewhere. But if you're going to become more like God, if you want to see more power and authority in your prayer, it's going to require you to have a more intimate and timely relationship with the Lord. You're going to have to draw close to him. You're going to have to set aside your own desires and your, your own passions and those kind of things. And you're going to have to adopt his love and his passion and, and his energy. That sounded very new aging. Sorry about that. But you're going to have to draw close to him. And as you do that, you become like him. I'm reminded all of a sudden of Becky. Like she'll go down to Tennessee and she'll come back. And it's like, you know, the southern draw is back and. You know, she's, 
what I fell in love with all over again. So we've got to nurture and grow that relationship with the Lord. We've got to spend time with him, and we've got to spend less time out in the world. The world is going to tell you and try to draw you into everything that is counter to the Lord. The world is going to say the most important thing is me, myself, and I. And the Lord is going to say, I don't think so. But we've got to be able to navigate and know the difference. So stand with me. I want to bring us back around to Psalms chapter 5, and I want to give you the rest of the story. Now, I really want you to listen to this. I want you to listen to David's word and how he knows God, how he speaks about God, and how he asks according to God's attributes, not his own desire. Psalms chapter 5. O Lord, hear me as I pray. Pay attention to my groaning. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God, for I pray to no one but you. Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my request to you and wait expectantly. O God, you take no pleasure in wickedness. You cannot tolerate the sins of the wicked. Therefore, the proud may not stand in your presence, for you hate all who do evil. You will destroy those who tell lies. The Lord detests murderers and deceivers. Because of your unfailing love, I can enter your house. I will worship at your temple with deepest awe. Lead me in the right path, O Lord, or my enemies will conquer me. Make your way plain for me to follow. My enemies cannot speak a truthful word, and their deepest desire is to destroy others. Their talk is foul like the stench of an open grave, and their tongues are filled with flattery. O God, declare them guilty. Let them be caught in their own traps. Drive them away because of their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing joyful praises forever. Spread your protection over them, that all who love your name may be filled with joy. For you bless the godly, O Lord. You surround them with your shield of love. You see, David knew what God desired in his own people, and he also knew what God detested in him. And if you look at David's prayer here, the only thing that he really said out of any kind of selfish thing is protect me from my enemies. The rest of it was, Lord, um, judge them based on their sins against you. See them for who they are. Not because I have personal feelings and that kind of thing, but I can see with my own eyes that they are away from you and they're workers of evil. But you see this, through all this, what I see is that David knew who God was. And I believe that came from a a kinship and a time that David fostered with the Lord. I believe he got up every morning and he prayed to God. I believe God moved mightily in his life. And the man after God's own heart got to know that heart so well. So what are you expecting today? Where is your expectation? Is it elevated today because God has been gracious to you? Because God has been faithful to you? Or have you let it slip 
And has life stolen some of that expectation from you? Well, let me just remind you this morning that God knows the end from the beginning. And regardless of the situation that you might be walking through right now, God's hand is on it. Now, it might not be going like you want it. You might not be able to recognize how this is going to end, and that might might bring some anxiety to you. And if that's you this morning, I say this. Rest in the Lord. Go to him in prayer. Ask him to speak to your heart. Ask him to, to bring comfort in the midst of what is otherwise a difficult season. And we're all going to go through times when we're challenged. Every single one of us. This world is not not a place that's going to really edify the Lord. And so we need, we need to, to be able to move in it, but not be of it. And I know that's nothing new. But being in it is going to expose us to that disappointment. It's going to expose us to, to uh, that encouragement that the world is going to say that you need to, to pick up this weight. You need to do this thing. It's going to say to the one devoted to God that your, your priorities are all wrong. And temptation will come that says, just, just for a little while, just pick this up. It's, just, it's really a little thing. And it is going to add a weight to you that you were never intended to carry. So it's going to take diligence on our part, each one of you individually, to take that time, devote it to the word and reading, devote it to prayer and seeking God, devote it to to just pray into the Lord that he would expose, that he would shine light on every bit of that darkness every bit of that contamination that's in your life, that he would expose that and help you expel it. Because for us to be effective in our prayer life, for our expectations to be raised, we need to know the God we serve. We need to know what he likes and what he dislikes. And we need to be able to pray with a heart that mimics his. We want to thank you for listening in today. At The Well, we believe in cultivating a culture for more of God. Wherever you are in your relationship and walk with God, we believe that there is always more for those who diligently seek after Him. If you would like to find out more, please check out our website at thewellmichigan.com and connect with us on social media.